Welcome to On the Flip Side, the show where two 30-something entrepreneurs break down Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. My name is Lindsay, and I'm here with my co-host, Amanda, and we are on the last chapter today. We're going to do a breakdown episode, bonus episode, if you will, after this, where we sort of talk through our takes. But in terms of the actual last chapter, um, according to Covey, habit seven is sharpening the saw. So talk to me about that, Amanda. Well, thank you, Lindsay. Habit seven is essentially taking the time for sharpening all of the habits that you have worked on throughout the process of this book. Um, but in habit seven, it specifically boils down to the physical, mental, spiritual, and social slash emotional sections of our lives. Uh, they're, they're basically the four dimensions of our nature. What I like to think of it as is essentially the self-care that nobody tends to think about when mm. we're thinking about stereotypically self-care. It's not necessarily taking a bath, but it is the, the habits, the essentials that you need in order to consistently have a balanced life. Yeah. And frankly, when I read chapter seven, I think you and I had very different reactions to it. And we are definitely going to get into that in a little bit, but <laughs> the, yeah, Amanda's laughing because I had a full fledged meltdown because I thought, I thought it was all bullshit for a second. <laughs> um, but I think where I struggled initially is that it felt like, like sharpening the saw as the big sort of end all be all habit kind of felt like eating a whale. And, you know, my fifth grade teacher, Miss Tedeschi, hi, Miss Tedeschi, uh, told me that the only way to eat a whale is one bite at a time. I used to be a kid who got really, really overwhelmed. And so I think about eating this whale one bite at a time. Um, and that almost didn't feel like an option for me here. Uh, but Amanda, you had a totally different take on it. I absolutely believe in what Kobe is trying to communicate here, which to me boiled down to if you take the time uh, every day or in a consistent schedule to take time for yourself, um, whether that's on the physical side, the mental side, um, you know, spiritual or social, right? You're taking the time to work on those types of things that are required for, um, you know, what most people consider a happy life. Um, and to me that it was inspiring. It was something like, if you want to continue the efforts that you have put in, you know, with the first six habits, mm -hmm. then taking a small amount of time every day or every other day to work on these areas will eventually, um, lead to a better holistic life where you're focused not on the little things, right? Not on the getting started with an exercise plan, but more of a, what can you do? What mountain can you climb? Because you put in the, the time that you needed to build your body to a point where you can actually achieve your goals, right? So it's, it's the, the small steps, the, the little motivations in the daily life that not only align with your values, 
but also uh, help you move forward in a, albeit sometimes slow, you know, turtle-like mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. fashion, you will eventually win the race of your life if you put in the small steps now. Yeah, and I think an analogy that I've been thinking about because, again, I really struggled with this chapter, so I don't cook, but... I imagine if I did cook, I would use my husband's good knives and I do all my cooking. We eat and enjoy the meal. I would imagine I would eventually need to start sharpening those knives again. Otherwise, it's just going to be trying to hack through food with like a dull, blunt object. And so that makes sense to me. You have to take care of the things you have in order for them to be useful I think where I got really stuck initially is that in the context of this chapter, being faced with trying to eat a whale in one bite, I kind of forgot to put first things first in terms of the urgency versus importance Mm -hmm. matrix. Mm -hmm. Like, I get that sharpening the saw is a difficult thing to do. I understand that you have to be consistent and dedicated to it and and in ways that don't necessarily count as like 30 minutes of dedicated time. I mean, it's in the case of this book, it's applying the concepts daily in my like regular interactions with Amanda, but it doesn't have to happen all at once. You know, the most important things, remember that matrix of what's important and urgent or important and not urgent or unimportant, urgent, unimportant, not urgent. So Mm -hmm. where does sharpening the saw fall kind of on that urgency versus importance matrix? So the things that are the most important long-term are frequently the things that you have to work on and sow every day, like crops you don't just and it's done mm-hmm. you have to you have to till the soil and work the land and then if you are lucky and have a green thumb unlike me then someday you might have a living tomato plant <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard because we are in a, uh, a society of instant gratification We're in the urgent and important or urgent and not important uh, quadrants and not necessarily in the one that's not urgent, but is crucial to our future. And I guess the point here is that sharpening the saw is a daily practice. It's something that you just sort of have to show up and do and incorporate into the daily routine. Um, even if you don't have time to sort of carve out specific time for it. And frankly, you're allowed to screw up. You're allowed to do things slowly and take time and process things. It's it's not like you have to bite into the whole whale and swallow it and be like, well, the saw is sharpened for today. One of the things that I think is really important uh, and kind of hit me over the head is Kobe has a statement uh, related to the physical dimension, which is most of us think we don't have time, enough time to exercise. 
and what a distorted paradigm. We don't have time not to. Um, and why I love that and bring that up is because if we are beginning with the end in mind, if we are looking out for what we want to achieve instead of what is, you know, going on right in the moment, uh, we really do have that time. And I think that we tend to get, it's like, it's built up in our heads that spending time dedicated to exercise or stress management is like something that I'll get to on the weekend, right? It's, I have to have a gym membership and I have to, uh, join this class and I have to do this. And you set yourself up for essentially failure because you're making it into something that it doesn't need to be. And we all fall prey to it. Um, I, you know, before getting into a ritual of frequent exercise, I thought I have to join a gym. I have to go to a yoga studio. I have to have all of this equipment. And all that I ended up doing was putting off actually doing the work because the work hurts, especially as yeah. a hypermobile individual, uh, yeah literally lifting weights is, is exhausting and it takes everything out of me, but it is also required so that the future me can actually do things that I want to do in my, in my life. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to sort of put what you just said into my own words, to sort of translate it for me, it's, it's maintenance work. It's not, and it's, proactive maintenance work. It's not another thing that you have to add to your list. So growing up, I was a competitive swimmer. Uh, I, I trained on a club team for most of my life uh, until I went to college. Um, and we were very much taught if it burns, it's working. Like in order to know that you had a good practice, you had to basically be lifted out of the pool. And then, and then one day I graduated high school and fully stopped swimming because I couldn't keep doing that. And it's, it's been wild that over, I don't know, the last 15 years or so I've discovered that maintenance can just be part of your life. It can be choosing to walk between subway stations. That counts. That's exercise. You're moving your body. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be a gym membership. And, you know, putting off doing other things because you have to be there for, you know, all night for it to count. You have to do 500 push-ups for anything to count. No, you can lay on your floor and do, like I do, between meetings and do <laughs> five or ten minute bar classes online. Easy, fun great way to clear your mind when you're like about to context shift. But yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it was probably partially being raised in the context of being a competitive swimmer. Like that's a particular sport that the older you get, the better you get. It's literally time. I mean, at my peak, I was lifting weights and swimming in the morning and then swimming for another few hours at night. And that takes up a ton of time. Life is in a swim practice. You can, <laughs> you can get what I know deep thoughts today, but you can, you can get what you need. You can do the maintenance work without punishing yourself. 
Pain is inflammation. Absolutely. Um, I think that's why I loved this chapter um, and thought that it was an appropriate wrap up to the seven habits because it really is a find things in these different areas that align with your values, you know, put together a vision of where you want to be, whether it's six months from now or six years from now, that vision will help motivate you now being able to see um, the, the potential future. Uh, it's something that athletes use all the time is actually visualizing them meeting whatever goal they have uh, ahead of them. And science has proven that we actually, when we visualize our future self or uh, winning or whatever we're doing, it actually stimulates the part of the brain that you feel when you have actually reached that goal. Like it's the same feeling in your brain. So putting together that vision of what that looks like enables you to take the small steps today in the physical, mental, spiritual, and social aspects of your life that may seem difficult or not worth it. But if you have that vision to work toward, it's, it is a smaller bite of a whale than you really think. Yeah. You know, it's funny is thinking about it now for the years I, my later swimming career, like middle school, high school, they had us know exactly how many strokes it would take to get from one end of the pool to another to hit certain times. And I was a distance swimmer. So I swam 500 meters. That was my race. In retrospect, I was a lunatic, but it was my thing. And different, <laughs> different laps had different stroke counts. So I would go to bed and in my head hear the gun go off, like all the steps, the beeps, the swimmers take your mark, go. And as I was falling asleep, I would be imagining doing different parts of the race and literally counting strokes. I don't know if that's relevant here, but it feels like it is. Well, it's interesting how when we have a habit, if we get out of the habit of it, like those memories, either like they pull us back toward it. Like there's a, there's a part of us that we maybe admire from our past that we don't necessarily want to do those laps anymore or uh, that specific thing, but the feeling that your body can do it the feeling of um, maybe stability or confidence, right? That That is the type of thing that is built when you take the small steps. So sort of pivoting from the physical side of it, there's the mental and social emotional sides, right? If you don't use it, you lose it. That's why I can no longer speak Spanish. Um, and Covey actually refers to it as brain atrophy, which is a terrifying set of words, if, if you're wondering how I feel about it. But it very much comes down to, you know, you just like you need to continually move and exercise your body, you need to continually move and exercise your brain. I mean... 
in in Amanda and I's outline, I guess I wrote for the love of God, read, because that seems <laughs> to be my answer to most things. Read, work out that that muscle right there. Note that I never say do some math. Um, <laughs> but I I don't know. I, I I think that's a really important part. And again, it's not like I'm saying, sorry, can't schedule a meeting there or sorry, can't make dinner reservations. I have to read to exercise my mind. You do it naturally, you know, like you read the news or you read before bed um, or in my case, you read on the train. Um, there's no one right way to do it. And contrary to how it felt when I was reading this chapter, I will say I felt like I had to simultaneously read while I worked out, while I was practicing my independence and interdependence. And um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> Smaller bites, Lindsay. <laughs> we are very good at thinking that we can multitask, but really in order to be present, to have that self-awareness, we got to slow down and we got to do one thing at a time. And uh, one thing about the mental side that I really appreciate uh, is Kobe mentions um, that we it's extremely valuable to train the mind to stand apart and, and examine its own program. And what we've what I feel like we have gotten away from because of conditioning, but also because of automatic responses and, you know, just trying to rest and trying to find a source uh, when, you know, there's so much going on all the time is that we kind of turn that part off instead of, you know, thinking about why do we believe in that we turn on the TV right? Which influences, which influences us. There's so many messages that we receive every day that may or may not align with our value systems. And when we're inundated with those constantly, they start to become uh, second nature. They start to literally build pathways, neural pathways in your brain that uh, become habits right? The more often you see something demonstrated, regardless of if you believe in it or not, the more often it will literally turn into a pathway in your brain uh, that is automatic. So the next time you see a situation that you typically would have responded differently, uh, you may respond in a way that does not align with your value systems, that uh, compromises where you actually want to be, what your jungle is. And a lot of times that leads to being in the wrong jungle, right? It's like, if mm -hmm. it's okay for yeah. this other person, it is okay for me because it pushes me toward this goal that I may or may not have, but I've seen it so many times that it is in my brain as okay, as fulfilling. Um, and the key there is that we have to be solid in our principles and stick to those and have integrity with them, uh, even if, you know, even if it's hard, even if we have to turn off that TV show, even if we have to shut down that social media app, because it's not actually enabling us to question why we believe something. 
in the foreword to this book, they say the contrasting principle of growth and hope throughout history is the discovery that I am the creative force of my life. Mm -hmm. And I think so long as we are continually sharpening the saw, continually going back and saying, does this align with my paradigms and principles? Am I taking in information? Am I giving it all a fair shake? If the answer is yes, you're probably in a good place. If the answer is no, then you should probably take a step back and realign your value system. And we all make mistakes. We all go totally. down paths that, you know, maybe the shiny path, uh, trying to find maybe our footing or who we are or what we really want, because there's so much going on right now. I mean, in general, there's a lot going on, but then for, you know, from politics to, you know, the world as a whole, there's so much input. Um, and that's why, you know, this year I have made it a personal goal to actually remove the word perfect from my vocabulary and strive for something different, right? Strive for something that is better than perfect, because to me, perfect not only sets you up for failure, but it also puts a ceiling on what you can achieve. It's not about you being your best self. It's about you meeting the goal of somebody else that may or may not align with your jungle, that may not align with your values and what you want to achieve. And, you know, like Lindsay said, uh, it is really about you being the creator of your own life and making the, and taking the steps to make that a priority for you. I'm trying to remember how we jumped from focusing on our habits to this quote that I have listed here by N. Eldon Tanner that says, service is the rent we pay for the privilege of living on this earth. Well, I think with the social emotional side of this is more on the public victory side. And mm, okay. Yeah, and, and what we're trying to do is be of service. I guess it gets into the third alternative. The fact that it doesn't have to be this or that. It can be something else. And that there's intrinsic security um, that comes from service. You know, from helping other people in a meaningful way. And, you know, one important source is work. When you see yourself contributing and creating, it, it really makes a difference in the confidence that you have, uh, in the cooperation feeling, in security. Well, in the book he even says, the late Dr. Hans Seil, in his monumental research on stress, basically says that a long, healthy, happy life is the result of making contributions, of having meaningful projects that are personally exciting, and to contribute and bless the lives of others. So I guess when you were talking about the social emotional side of things, um, which, you know, is focusing on the second half of the habits, four, five, six, we have to master the first three habits or at least practice them. I think master is a strong word. 
Agreed. Um, to be able to then start to meaningfully practice the second half, which is more outward facing. And when you are able to do that, I almost feel like, like Kobe treats it like a calling, you know, that service is the rent we pay for the privilege of living on this earth. We're really getting at habit four and making consistent deposits of unconditional love, you know, not just pulling from the emotional bank account, but, you know, having equity and parity in all of those relationships. Because if you're not holding up your end of the, the, the stick, why would someone else hold up theirs? I knew you, you know, were going to bring up the stick. <laughs> it's one of our last episodes. I was trying to think of something else and it was like, no, go with the stick. We love the stick. Uh, the stick. And by the way, when we are making deposits in the emotional bank account, that's when you can get to really one of the highest levels in habit six, which is synergy. At, at that point, when there is the trust, when there's the listening, when there's the understanding, when there's the approaching really any, any situation. Um, when there's approaching any situation with uh, habit fours win-win, you're able to synergize in a very different way. Which mm, is powerful. Well, and it's an authentic way. I think people can try to work together, but without the fundamental practices that Kobe lays out in this book, it's not true synergy. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it, you know, it leads into scripting and how like most people are not authentic and it's, it's hard to find your authentic self in a world that says, you know, fake it till you make it or, uh, you know, go this path and that's where you'll find success or this is what you really want. Um, and by the time, you know, we're adults, it's like, unless we have a strong will, I, we're set up for living somebody else's life. And we're, it's almost like we're trapped in here, right? We have to learn to question that scripting like you did with being a lawyer. Um, and one of the, go ahead. Can we just have a moment of silence for the law career that never was. And for all the warning <laughs> my father had to do. <laughs> Thank you for your efforts, Steve. Good job, Steve. <sighs> he did raise two great daughters, regardless of being a lawyer. But, okay, so like in anything, I think one of the keys here to sharpening the saw, which I always want to say sharpening the sword, and I don't know why, but in my mind, it's a very King Arthur looking saw. The key word here is balance. Like, we have to holistically focus on all four of these like fundamentally human attributes because if one suffers, they all suffer. And this is true both internally in terms of balance and synergy in your mind, but also in group settings and professional settings and classroom settings, you have to be balanced uh, 
and sort of measured in, in your approach here, because the focus itself should be the practice, not the outcomes. Like one of the things that I've always admired, um, JD, who is Amanda's husband and also the founder of Command Prompt, one of his things, one of his mantras is that you don't work for money. You know, money is the reward. You work to get a job well done to achieve something. And as a plus side, you also get paid. It shouldn't be, if you're in the right jungle, it's probably not about the money to begin with. And you have to be balanced in that because if you're focused only on the bottom line paycheck, but you do an amazing job, but the paycheck's lower than you hoped, isn't that going to influence the balance and the approach that you take with these things? And it really speaks to if you're in the right jungle, like is, is what you're doing truly nourishing you? It, do you feel fulfilled? Um, if not, why not? Is it because there's not a balance there or is it because you're doing something that really isn't aligned with your values? Question. Can you be in a good jungle and have it still not be the right jungle? Absolutely. Or do we all have access to, to multiple jungles? I think there's definitely the opportunity to fit in with a variety of jobs, opportunities, places to be, because what it real, really boils down to is a, a life balance. You can have a job that is not the most fulfilling, right? You, you have uh, the, the paycheck, you have the, the advances clout. in professional development. You have clout, you have, you're, you're moving forward in a career, but it may not fulfill you a hundred percent. You know, we're a, a lot of us are in that position. If you have balance in your life, if you take the time to nourish the other areas, then there's no reason why that job can't also be a part of that balance and a part of your fulfillment. It may not meet all of your needs. Like we're not all going to um, be able to work two hours a day and make five figures. That's, you know, a lot of us are going to have to put in the cold, hard time. But if you have the balance on the other side of it, then I do believe that you can be truly happy with a job that doesn't necessarily check all of your boxes. So that's back to the balance, but how, and I think this is a more general discussion, but how, how do you pinpoint and like recognize the things you're neglecting? Like I think about my back a lot. I think about my back a lot because I will feel fine for weeks on end. I'll be doing my little bar classes and going on good walks on nice days. And then one day I will bend over to pick something up and I will think, oh, I'm more comfortable hunched over than I am standing upright and realize that from the pain, oh no, I've been neglecting this. So will there always be a clear like bend over, oh no, my back hurts now? Or is this a regular 
check in to to see what's missing? I think that comes back to proactivity um, and beginning with the mm. end in mind, right? So having those consistent check-ins with yourself um, because we do get caught up in all the things and then we tend to neglect sharpening the saw. And the reality is our physical health affects our mental health and our spiritual strength affects our social and emotional strength. And if we neglect one, it tends to become a habit to neglect other areas. And then we find ourselves hunched over because we didn't take the, the time to do those checks with ourselves, with how we're spending our time, with if we actually feel fulfilled, right? We're avoiding self-care because we're so busy, busy, busy trying to do all the things. And then one day we hit a wall because our body says you we're giving it too much, right? Mm. If, if we don't take the time to nourish ourselves mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, <laughs> socially. Mm -hmm. That is another uh, one. Yes. As, as odd as it sounds, we are going to end up in a position where we can't move forward and we have to do the maintenance that we ignored initially. Not sure if that actually addresses. No, no, it does. It does. And what's interesting is that the thing that you are absolutely saying without using the word is commitment, you know, um, which gets into sort of the, the ultimate concept in this book, which is an upward spiral. So I feel like we all know what a downward spiral is. It's when <laughs> one thing happens and another happens. And next thing you know, you're in the gutter, you've lost your phone and your husband's furious. Um, the upward spiral is the opposite. It has three parts and it really is learn, commit, and do. So learn Figure out the jungles you need to be in. Identify what's missing um, sort of from your balanced, synergistic, high EQ life. Commit to, to constantly sort of feeding that and addressing it and thinking about it and engaging with it. And then do the damn thing. You have to, it's great if you, if you do all of the visualization in the world, but if you don't actually do it, what are you doing? It's, it's and the answer is nothing. Um, so then once you do, you go back and you keep learning and you keep committing and you keep doing, and together those things are just going to lift you up. If you, if you commit to doing all of those things, it will lift you up in the end. That's inspirational and motivating. Thanks. I read it in a book. Check it out. <laughs> it's a pretty good book. Yeah, it's all right. Um, so to put a bow on this, sum up this book for me, Amanda, like, what is this, what is this book? What is it telling us to do? 
What is the theme? I'd like to answer your question with a quote by Phillips Brooks. Deep. Very deep. <laughs> Someday in the years to come, you will be wrestling with the great temptation or trembling under the great sorrow of your life. But the real struggle is here, now. Now it is being decided whether, in the day of your supreme sorrow or temptation, you shall miserably fail or gloriously conquer. Character cannot be made except by a steady, long, continued process. And that may seem, <laughs> it may seem like swallowing the whale, but what it really means and what it gives to me is hope. If we take the so small steps today, if we make ourselves a priority, if we don't automatically respond and go with the flow and instead question why we believe something and why the messages that we're receiving mean something to us, if we continually choose to have an upward spiral to learn, to commit, to do, and we make forward progress, whether it's tiny, whether there's two steps back first, but we continue to be dedicated to ourselves. And, you know, we have some help along the way, whether it's a good work wife or a great partner or, you know, somebody somewhere that is supporting you and that you get that connection from that really you can have that life that you want. You can create a future that suits you. It may not be a million dollar home in the Bahamas, but it, you can be happy and you can be fulfilled. I think, first of all, thank you. It's exciting. It's a relief. I, I, again, I don't know the word I'm looking for here to realize that we read the same book. We had different thoughts on different parts of it, but that our distillations are very, very similar. Um, mine, not even a whole quote. My, my summary of this book is that there are no little things. Every decision you make, every time you commit, every time you flake, it, it adds up and it adds up to who you are, who you're going to be. Every thought you have impacts this stuff. And I find that really empowering because you are your own creation. So yeah, I think I'd recommend this book. <laughs> I definitely would. Well, you're the one who gave it to me in the beginning, remember? Oh, so I already recommend this book. <laughs> yes, Amanda already recommends this book. Uh, she gave it to me almost four years ago now which is oh, a wild, wow. wild, I know. We're getting um, old. Yeah, well, we look good though. <laughs> For um, <laughs> I'm, I'm beginning with the end in mind. So with that, we'll be back next week. We're gonna have a little bit of a different episode where we talk through the book in generalities as opposed to breaking down each individual concept. We're also prepping completely differently. We know the questions, but we're not going to know each other's answers. So please join us for our last episode next week. And until then, this is Lindsay and Amanda. Thanks for spending part of your day with us.
Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> no, thank you, everybody. <laughs>